Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles to John 12. We're going to finish John 12 today. Many of us are prone to procrastinate in areas of life. Students, and I say this firsthand out of experience when I was a student, students can be prone to wait until the last minute to study for an exam or to write a paper. Uh, Adults magically don't struggle with procrastination any longer, right? Is that that true? Not true? No? Many adults uh, procrastinate in uh, work assignments or lawn work or paying bills or filing taxes or cleaning out the garage. Now, there are some consequences for procrastinating in those areas of life, right? But there, there is no area of life in which procrastination has a greater cost than procrastinating in spiritual matters. And Moses understood that. So we've been reading through uh, the book of Deuteronomy in this month's reading plan. Have you noticed how many times Moses says and emphasizes Today, he uses that word 58 times in Deuteronomy. He's trying to to hammer home the urgency of the situation to the Israelites. Deuteronomy 11.26, he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. So when should they make a decision? That very day. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 and 16, he says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. A little bit later in that same chapter, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. There is an urgent danger of spiritual procrastination. It was true in Moses' time. It is true in our time, and it has been true every time in between, including the life and ministry of Jesus. And what we are seeing this morning in John's Gospel is that uh, both Jesus and John the Apostle understood that same urgency and that same tendency towards spiritual procrastination, which is why uh, what we're looking at here at the end of uh, John chapter 12 uh, is a, a commentary from the Apostle John. This is him uh, encapsulating all of the, the truth that he has covered uh, in chapters 1 through 12. Uh, and he is going to, to summarize it and he's going to repeat it. He's saying, I know you've already heard all of these things, but I'm just going to say it again to hammer it home. And he is expressing a great urgency to anyone and everyone who would read his gospel account. That we should believe in Jesus. That we should embrace His message of salvation. As we've studied through 
John's gospel thus far, we have seen Jesus announced by John the Baptist. John said, this is the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And and that began Jesus' public ministry. And Jesus comes and presents himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Uh, and he comes and he demonstrates his, uh, his power and his authority uh, in the, the seven miracles that John emphasizes uh, in the first uh, 12 chapters. We saw Jesus turn water into wine, announcing that the, the time of the Messiah is the time of feasting and rejoicing. Now, he uh, showed his power over sickness when he cured the nobleman's son from a distance in John 4. He demonstrated his uh, power to, to mend those who were lame when he healed the paralytic in John 5. We see that Jesus has the power to feed those who were hungry when he fed probably 20,000 people in John 6. He showed his power over creation when he walked on water. Also in John chapter 6, we saw uh, the blind receive sight in John 9, and we saw the dead raised in John 11. We've also seen six I am statements with a couple more to come. Jesus has proclaimed that he is the bread of life. He's proclaimed that he is the light of the world. He's said that before Abraham was, he said, I am. He said that he is the door of the sheep, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the resurrection and the life. He has taught the multitudes. He's debated with the scholars and the rabbis. And Jesus has repeatedly cried out, invited anyone and everyone to look to him in faith, to turn from their sin and to trust in him as their only hope of forgiveness and reconciliation with God the Father. And humble sinners, as we've seen throughout the gospel account, humble sinners who recognize their sin and look to Jesus are forgiven. They are restored and washed. But haughty, prideful sinners have been corrected and have been rebuked. In 1235, Jesus, again, expressing the urgency of his situation. If you look at that verse So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Those were Jesus' final public words. Because what does it say at the next part of verse 36? These things Jesus spoke, and he went away, and he hid himself from them. He warns and says, hey, the light's not going to be here for long, and then he goes out from them. He says, there's an urgency here. You need to walk according to the light. And then in verses 37 to 50, we have this section where the Apostle John is is bringing all of the different strands, all of the different themes that we've seen so far, and he's braiding them together unifying them, and he's going to remind us of them in this portion. Past weeks, we've looked at verses 37 to 43, and in those verses, the Apostle John was explaining why the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. From a human perspective, many did not believe, and others were afraid of the consequences of confessing him. We saw that last week. 
We saw the human perspective, but then there's also a divine perspective in which God predicted that Israel would reject the Messiah. And God said uh, they're, they're going to harden their hearts. They're going to reject the one that he would send to them. And God was still going to use that for good to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now in verses 44 to to 50 that we're going to study this morning, the Apostle John is going to to summarize the earthly ministry of Jesus. He's going going to explain and repeat what Jesus has already said. He's probably pulling from a variety of places throughout Jesus' ministry, and he's going to present it as Jesus is still speaking here and now. If you look with me at these verses, beginning in verse 44, it says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak from myself, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pause and and pray before we, we examine this passage. Father of mercy, we we come to you seeking wisdom, seeking understanding from your word. We ask that you would bless and that you would work through the proclamation of of your holy scriptures this morning, we ask that you would prepare each of our hearts to receive your word, to apply it to our hearts. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are willing to be humbled. May you use your word to transform us into the image and likeness of your son to bring him glory, honor, and praise. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. As we study this passage this morning, we're going to see what we are to believe about Jesus and how we are to respond to him. Each and every one of us is called to respond to Jesus. And the Apostle John is going to give us two responses that we are to abide by. And the first is seen in verses 44 to 46. That we are to see and believe Jesus himself. And John holds up some theological truths. If we were to ask, what am I to believe about Jesus? Well, John John summarizes that here. First, we are to, to see and believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus cried out. Again, uh, John is pulling from things that Jesus has previously said. We know that Jesus already went out uh, from uh, public sight and he has hidden himself. But this is a reiteration of 
Jesus' past uh, ministry and past teaching. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees the one who sent me. All of this goes back to, uh, to the prologue, the very beginning of John's gospel, the first 18 verses, kind of do exactly what this end of John 12 does. It, it, it introduces all of the concepts and ideas that are going to, to be taught in John's gospel. And the, the gospel began with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And those verses firmly established the deity of Jesus. That he is the word who was pre-existent. He, he was existing already in the beginning. That he is co-existent and co-eternal uh, with God the Father. Uh, which means that he also is truly God. And therefore to believe in Jesus is to believe not only in Jesus... But it is also to believe in the Father as well. A belief in the Son is inseparable from belief in the Father. Now there is a, a Jewish uh, saying that, that the person sent is as the one who sent him. And when someone comes and represents another, uh, they speak on their behalf and with their authority. Uh, this is what Jesus has proclaimed throughout his earthly ministry. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, he says, He who receives me, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Luke chapter 10, verse 16, The one who listens to you, speaking to the disciples, listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. See, three different layers there in Luke 10. And ultimately we could say this, that how you respond to the Son is also how you respond to the Father. And I think John is writing and, and presenting this again. He's writing to a Jewish audience, and he wants to make it very, very clear that they can't say that they're going to worship the Father and all the while reject the Son. Now, the two are inseparable. You can't reject Jesus without also rejecting God the Father. But there's more to this. In verse 45, John says that the one who sees Jesus is also seeing who? God the Father. Again, this is, this is a theme that is uh, developed uh, over the course of this gospel. Back in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. Basically, Jesus is the one who explains God to us. John chapter 13, verse 20, which we'll look at uh, in the future. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And then in John chapter 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. That's a wonderful request, right? From one of the disciples, hey, Jesus, can you show us the Father? And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me 
has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says that Jesus, He is the radiance of His, speaking of God the Father, of His glory, and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. Colossians 1, 15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, all of this points us in the direction that if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. Look and see who Jesus is. And by looking and seeing Jesus, you will see God himself. That Jesus is the pinnacle of God's self-revelation to humanity. And you might be asking, why does John emphasize this? Right? This, is a, this is a whole lot of uh, deep theology. Right? As he's encapsulating all the message of Jesus, why does he, why does he begin here uh, with this inseparability of uh, God the Father and God the Son? Why does this matter to us, practically speaking? Francis Schaeffer, in his book, He is There and He is Not Silent, gives a, a wonderful illustration of why this type of theological truth is important. He says, suppose we are climbing in the Alps and are very high on the bare rock and suddenly uh, the fog shuts us down. And the guide turns to us and says that the ice is forming and that there is no hope for us. Before morning, we will all freeze to death here on the shoulder of the mountain. Simply to keep warm, the guide keeps us moving and in the dense fog, further out on the shoulder until none of us has any idea where we are. After an hour or so, someone says to the guide, suppose I dropped and hit a ledge 10 feet down in the fog, what would happen then? The guide would say that you might make it until morning and thus live. And so with absolutely no knowledge or any reason to support his action, one of the group hangs and drops into the fog. That is what we might call a leap of faith. That there is no assurance that what he's doing is going to work. There's no reason to believe that it is true. He's just taken a leap. Suppose, however, after we have worked out on the shoulder of the cliff in the midst of the fog and our, our growing, uh, the growing ice on the rock, we had stopped and we heard a voice which said, You cannot see me. But I know exactly where you are from your voices. I am on another ridge. I have lived in these mountains, man and boy, for over 60 years, and I know every foot of them. I assure you that 10 feet below you there is a ledge. And if you hang and drop, you can make it through the night, and I will get you in the morning. I would not hang and drop at once, but would ask questions to try and ascertain if the man knew what he was talking about and if he was not my enemy. In the Alps, for example, I would ask him his name. If the name he gave me was the name of a family from that part of the mountains, it would count a great deal to me. In the Swiss Alps, there are certain family names that indicate mountain families of that area. In my desperate situation, even though time would be running out, I would ask him what to me would be the adequate and sufficient questions. And when I became convinced by his answers, then I would hang and drop. That's why these theological truths are of the utmost importance, because the family name of Jesus is being established for us. 
Uh, We are knowing who we are trusting with our souls. Right? We're not to to just drop down blindly. Uh, We are to understand what we are doing, why we are acting, and who we are entrusting ourselves to. Jesus is the one that we are called to believe in. Now, we are to to see and believe in Him because doing so is to see and believe in God the Father. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is to be the object of our faith. In Him, we are to trust. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, Let it suffice us to know that our Savior was not like the prophets and patriarchs, a man sent by God the Father, a friend of God, and a witness for God. He was something far higher and greater than this. He was in his divine nature, essentially one with the Father. And in seeing him, men saw the Father that sent him. This is a great mystery, but a truth of vast importance to souls. He that casts his sin on Jesus Christ by faith is building on a rock. Believing on Christ, he believes not merely on him, but on him that sent him. When we look to Jesus in faith, we are building upon the eternal, almighty, everlasting God. We need to see and believe Jesus as the Son of God. But then secondly, verse 46, we are to see and believe in Jesus as the light of the world. John makes a point to emphasize this as well. Verse 46, and I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Jesus came into the world as the light and he came as light for a very specific reason. And this is building upon themes we've already seen in John's gospel. John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Again, in the prologue, it says, In him, speaking of Jesus, was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and then, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John chapter 8, verse 12. And Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came as the light in order to do what? So that people would not remain in the darkness. What are the implications of that? Well, we are naturally in the darkness. We are naturally uh, in a spiritual darkness from the moment that we are born. That spiritual darkness of sin encompasses the world and everyone in the world. But Jesus has come uh, to save, to bring people out of darkness and bring them into light. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, For you were formerly darkness. That's amazing. Paul doesn't say you were formerly in darkness. He says you were formerly darkness. That's what we were. But now you are light in the Lord. So what are we to do? Walk as children of light. That's the exact proclamation that Jesus made here in John chapter 12. We were to walk as light. Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's a picture of our salvation. We move from darkness into light. Scientists are not certain why we have observed certain things that happen every single summer. What happens when uh, you're out in the summer at nighttime? What do the bugs do? 
They, they, they gravitate, they are drawn to any source of light that they see out in the darkness. What's amazing is that science and all of its wisdom doesn't understand this. They have no idea why bugs are drawn to the light in this way. They, they have some theories. So one theory is that the bugs use light to navigate. That they're confusing the smaller light with the light of the sun or the moon. Another theory says that the bugs are confusing the light for a flower. And some flowers uh, reflect uh, ultraviolet light so that bugs are looking and seeing, well, maybe this is a flower. Another theory is that uh, bugs are seeking to escape from predators. And if they can see the light and then they know that there's no predator in between them and the light. One last theory says that bugs are attracted to light because they know that other bugs will be around the light. I'm like, that's kind of begging the question. Um, but uh, so that if they're looking for a meal or looking for a mate, the light is the place to be. All of this uncertainty about why bugs are drawn to light. But there should be no uncertainty about why we are drawn to Christ. Because he is able to bring us from the darkness. To transform our hearts and minds and lives. When we come to Christ in faith, we are no longer stumbling around. We get to walk with clarity, with sight, with purity. We get to walk in the light. And we get to escape from the darkness. This is yet another invitation. Another call for each and every one of us to come to the light of Christ. Don't flee from it. Run to it. Allow the light of Christ to shine into your heart. Allow the light of Christ to illuminate all the sin in your life. And agree that all of the, all of the sin that is revealed is truly and exactly that. Sin. And when, when the light reveals our sin, what are we to do? We are to agree with God about that. We are to confess it and to forsake it, and we will be forgiven. We are to look to Jesus as the light of the world, and he will bring you out of spiritual darkness in, into the light of life. That is, that is the, the content of what we are to see and believe about Jesus. That he is the son of God and that he is the light of the world. John is trying to, to hammer home those points for everyone reading his gospel. We are to see and believe Jesus himself. But then there's a, a, an additional response that we see in verses 47 to 50. That we are to hear and receive Jesus' message. So in these verses... Uh, the focus is going to be upon how we respond to the message of Jesus. So the first few verses, how we respond to Jesus himself. What do we believe about him? This is now what do we believe about his message? Whether in, when we hear the message of Jesus, there's, there's two choices. Okay, that we can uh, hear it and receive it, or we can hear it and reject it. Now, those are the only options. And we're going to see three reasons why we should receive the message of Christ rather than rejecting it. First reason is found in verse 47. It is a message of salvation. Jesus says, And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
Jesus is, is going to, to emphasize that he came with a purpose and he came to save rather than to judge. But he says that there's going to be somebody uh, who hears his message, uh, many people who, who will hear him and they will not obey him. Uh, they will not uh, take heed to his words. They will not observe what he says. They will not guard it. The idea of that Greek word. There's going to be some who who hear and they don't receive. But then Jesus says, I'm not going to judge them for that. That's not why I came. And this is similar to John 3:17. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And later on in John's ministry, in his epistles, 1 John 4.14, he says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is why Jesus has come. We, we should receive the message of Jesus because it is a message of salvation. Now, that is the message of the gospel. His message is an invitation to come and be saved. Jesus does not say, come to me, all who are weary and wish to be judged. Right? Now, that is not the invitation of the gospel. What does he say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But what's interesting here is how do we reconcile uh, these two competing messages of Jesus? Because earlier we read John chapter 5 verse 22 and it says that God the Father has given all authority to the Son to judge. But then here Jesus is saying, I'm not going to judge. I don't judge the one who hears my words and rejects them. So how do we reconcile these seemingly contradictory statements? Well, uh, the, the reconciliation takes place in verse 48. So the message of Christ should be received because it is a message of salvation, but it should also be received because it is a message that judges. Look at verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. See, this verse builds off of the previous one, and it creates a tension. And it creates a tension by first establishing. So Jesus is not going to judge. That's what we saw in verse 47. But then he says, but there is, there is one who will judge them. Right? And then we, we have to wait till the end of the verse to find out, well, who is it that's going to judge? If Jesus is not going to judge them, who is? And there's an emphasis in the Greek in that final statement in verse 48. It's literally uh, the word that I spoke, that word will condemn him on the last day. The one uh, who rejects the words of Jesus will be condemned by those same words on the judgment day. On that last day, the message of Jesus will condemn all of those who reject it. Jesus doesn't need to condemn anybody. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. 
But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The last day is coming. I know it seems far, far away, but that last and final day, that day of judgment is coming, and all of us will be there. And many will will grieve and weep with tears because they heard the message of Jesus. They heard it and they rejected it. And on that day, then they will understand what they should have done. They will understand that even though the message of the gospel, it is not a message of judgment, but it is a message that judges. It is a message of salvation. But if you reject it, it leads to your own condemnation. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, if you get condemnation out of the gospel, you put the condemnation into it yourselves. It is not the gospel, but your rejection of it that will condemn you. Again, it is not a message of judgment, but it is a message that judges. It reveals our hearts. It reveals whether we love the darkness or whether we love the light. As the gospel saves those who believe it, the gospel also judges those who reject it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Today is a day of grace. But the last day is a day of judgment. And so there is an urgency to look to Christ before that time. And we, we are tempted to procrastinate. Now, we are tempted to say, I have many, many days left. I have many more todays in which to, to make that decision. But we don't know how many more days we actually have. None of us do. We should not rush past this truth that there is a last and final day of judgment. It's a difficult truth. But it is truth, and so we have to understand it, and we have to live in light of it. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. Let the thought of judgment to come have a practical effect on our religion. Let us daily judge ourselves with righteous judgment, that we may not be judged and condemned of the Lord. Let us so speak and so act as men who will be judged by the law of liberty. Let us make uh, conscience of all our hourly conduct and never forget that for every idle word we must give account at the last day. In a word, let us live like those who believe in the truth of judgment, of heaven and of hell. So living, we shall be Christians indeed and in truth and have boldness in the day of Christ's appearing. This is what we have to remember and keep in mind. This is why we, we must uh, respond uh, to the message of Jesus by hearing it and receiving it. Because there's going to come a day when that same message is going to condemn us if we reject it. The message of Jesus is a message of salvation but it is also a message that judges.
Then third, in verses 49 to 50, we see that it is a message from God the Father. Jesus says, For I did not speak from myself, but the Father himself who sent me, he has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, as Jesus speaks about his message that will judge, he explains why it has such power and authority to judge. Because the the message that Jesus has proclaimed in his earthly ministry didn't originate with him. It came directly from God the Father comes from the one who sent him. And God the Father gave the commandment to the Son. The Father told the Son what to say and what to speak. And it's hard to understand if there's a difference there. might be what to say and how to say it. But ultimately, the command that was given by the Father to the Son to be proclaimed, that commandment, it is eternal life. Therefore, everything that Jesus has said in his earthly ministry has the authority of God the Father. And Jesus emphasizes that everything that was said to him, he delivered to us. He has been faithful in proclaiming the message of God the Father. And my oldest son has reached the age where I have attempted to send him as a messenger on my behalf. Say, go tell your brother that Dada says to stop what he's doing and come here. But make sure you say, Dada says. I was able to hear their conversation. I hear my older son go up to the younger son. Goes upstairs and he says, brother, you have to go downstairs. And of course, because the younger brother is going to say no. Why? Because what was relayed to the older son what was, was not what was uh, communicated to the younger son. What was, in essence, communicated to the younger son is, hey, you've got to go downstairs, but that's based upon whose authority? Just his older brother. The most important part of that message was, Dada says. So the older son comes down and says, brother's not listening. And I think to myself, well, he ain't the only one. So I, I remind my son what to say. And then I, he goes back up the stairs and he, he relays the message properly. And this time my younger son comes down. In this final summary of Jesus' message, we are reminded that his message has, a, has a, an authority behind it. It's God's message. One pastor and commentator says, The Son's message conforms to the Father's commandment. And as the Father's commandment is the commandment of eternal life, so the Son's message is the message of eternal life. To obey the Father's commandment, to believe the Son's message, is to have eternal life. And conversely, 
to disobey the Father's commandment, to refuse credence to the Son's message, is to forfeit life and enter into judgment. The light of life has its counterpart in the darkness of judgment. We shouldn't take lightly these invitations that we've seen all throughout the Gospel of John and elsewhere, all throughout Scripture. Jesus, Jesus has, has given us these invitations. Come, look to me in faith. He says it repeatedly. We are invited to receive salvation by grace through faith. To trust in Jesus alone. But what we also have to see what is revealed to us here is that those invitations from the Son are also commands from the Father. The invitation is something that is uh, required for us to respond to. And the invitation to believe is all at the same time a command to believe. And this commandment is eternal life. Believe in Jesus. Look to Him in faith. We are commanded to see and believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the light of the world. We are commanded to hear and receive Jesus' message because it's God's message, a message of salvation and a message that judges. One of the Puritans exhorts us to a close examination of our souls in light of the urgency before us. Alas, it is our wisdom to be careful lest we are deceived in so great a business as our salvation. And we have to, we have to keep in mind, and we're talking about this in the membership class, that, that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Matthew seven twenty two. Not everybody who thinks that they are a part uh, of uh, Christ's church is actually a part of the church. That's where this Puritan says, we should not be deceived in so great a business as our salvation. He says, there is no harm to be careful, since presumption, carelessness, and neglect may betray us to misery and despair. The devil wins many souls by silencing their reason. The noise of worldly business drowns out the voice of reason. Withdraw yourself just one hour to consider seriously the end of your life. While you walk alone or are awake in the night, remember soberly that God is present. Time is hasting to an end. And judgment is at hand when you must give an account of all your hours. Do not allow the devil to divert you from these serious considerations by pleasures or worldly business. If the devil can but take you up a while with one pleasure one day and another business another day and keep you from the work that you came into the world for till your time is gone, you will slip unaware into condemnation and the devil has his desire, that which he aimed at. He has won the day and you are lost forever. Have you responded to these invitations from Jesus? To see and believe in Him. Have you responded to His repeated invitations to hear and receive His message? 
to hear all that he has said throughout his ministry and all that he continues to say in his written word. Have you received that? That, that, is, that is worthy of an hour of your time, right? And that is a, a worthy contemplation. Because to be careless, to, to procrastinate on this, will have the greatest of all consequences. Let us examine our hearts. Help us to respond to the message of Jesus.